welcome to Token Theater Friends. I'm Jose, and today I'm joined by Laura Michelle Kelly. Thank you so much. Your first guest this year. Oh, really? So Yay, me! We're very, very honored. Oh, thank you. Have you been keeping up your resolutions so far? Um, my resolutions last all year and no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, and you know what? They've gone on for over a decade, my resolutions. Be more organized, be really good with money, um, be, there's so many things. Like, be better at, you know, business stuff, all that kind of thing. And uh, no. I'm not going to change, so I just embrace it and try to live each day as if I'm free. Well, I mean, you're going to have a great start to the year singing at Carnegie Hall. I know! That's, like, incredible. Yeah, I was really excited when they asked me. Um, I'm getting to sing with the wonderful Max von Essen, who Mm. was my Freddie and my fair lady in uh, the Kennedy Center and in Santa Barbara. And um, so when I when they asked me to do to be a part of it, I jumped at the chance. Yeah, and you're going to be doing a program of Rutgers and Hammerstein songs. Yes, and I was and at Steve Reinke's house last night, oh who's God. the musical director and composer, uh, conductor, and uh, we had a, the, a brilliant time. It's all different kind of singing that I uh, you know I haven't done for a while, um, more soprano, and uh, there's Rutgers and Hammerstein musicals that haven't been very well known even now so we're doing some songs from you know the 50s and 60s that people may not have heard of <laughs> I love that about the New York Pops because every time I go I feel like they obviously play like you know the, the hits that songs that everyone loves Yeah. but they also are great at unearthing like the uh, the more obscure takes so yeah, it's your favorites. Mixed you... bag. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's actually one from Allegro which is really interesting. Um it's about being in a fast-paced world and it was written I think in just after the World World War 2 and um it was a flop, but uh, there's this one song and I think because people weren't didn't weren't interested in hearing about that story then they're all they've always been ahead of their time Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um They've always been way ahead of the generation that they're mm-hmm. in. And you notice that when you sing their songs now, uh, how it's still relevant now. Uh, so there's this one song for uh, The Gentleman is a Dope from Allegro, which is kind of fun and fun and different, really different sounding. Um, so they really did create this, the sound of the, of the next generation, I think. It's really interesting to hear. Do you remember what was the first time you heard the Rodgers and Hammerstein song? Say The Sound of Music? Yeah, The Sound of Music. I was uh, watching a VHS of Julie Andrews over and over mm. and over again as a child. And she probably coloured my voice out of most of the singers I've ever heard or listened to in my life. Um, and I think maybe that contributed to me gaining Mary Poppins later in life mm-hmm. because I'd heard her sound for so long. It, it, it came naturally. Um, and obviously, you know, she was amazing in Mary Poppins too. Um, but I watched Sound of Music avidly and I went through all the ages. I was Marta, Brigitte and Louisa, but I didn't quite make it to Liesel and Maria. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it was, it's really nice to be able to sing Maria's songs in the, at Carnegie. So is Maria your bucket list at some point then? It actually is, and no one really knows that. So I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah, I wouldn't mind playing that if I'm not too old. I'm, I hope I'm not Mother Abbess. <laughs> What's like your favourite? There's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't want to skip Maria. I'd like to play Maria and then Mother Abbess. Yeah, you have like great. a few decades before you can play that. <laughs> yeah. What is your absolute favourite moment mm. in the sound of music with Maria? Um, I think it's a, a, a girl lost, you know, um, 
one with nature, like that first song she sings is all about being in the hills and appreciating what she has, but the longing as well for the things she remembers. Um, but she's committed to this. No, I'm definitely made to be a nun. <laughs> Everyone knows she's not. But so that's like interesting dynamic. Like, I know I'm meant to do this. And then, you know, she falls in love and the challenges she has to soften a really hardened man. Mm. That's, you know, always a win. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I read that you grew up on a farm. <clears throat> and I, I wonder you... if you ended up, like, spending lots of time recreating the famous trail <laughs> around the hills. I actually <laughs> did. I grew up surrounded by fields and a long road. <clears throat> excuse me. A long road that all my relatives lived down. It was a really magical uh, upbringing. And it was a dairy farm. So I learned how to milk cows. That's so cool. And I got involved with theatre very young. Uh, really, it was just the musicality of it all. I got really attracted to it. I uh, didn't really know you could ever get paid to do what we do, <laughs> if you're lucky. Um, and uh, when I auditioned for Beauty and the Beast in London, which was the first time I'd ever really been to London, oh, second time I'd ever been to London, I, I was gobsmacked by Beauty and the Beast, mm. and I auditioned for the Open Call, and that was my big break. <laughs> and it, it, even to this day it's kind of amazing the people along the way who have um, had faith in me and pushed me and, and I, I'm still astounded that they pick me if they do <laughs> 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 lots of jobs I haven't got but if they pick me it's always an amazing gift I, I, I feel very grateful how did you, that's so surprising to hear because you're so incredible on stage Thank you. and how did you know then when you were like okay this is real I'm, I'm doing this I think I suddenly realized, or well, maybe I could make a living out of this, mm. when I, Andrew Loebweber cast me in A Whistle Down the Wind, which was a show that never made it over here, but perhaps it will. Um, the Me Too movement might have prevented some <laughs> of it, because it was a, about a young girl falling in love with a guy who, who is in a shed, and she thinks he's Jesus, and the age gap's quite large, um, and... Uh, uh, there, it was very Jim Steinbeck, Jim Steinman and Andrew Lloyd Webber's combination together was again ahead of its time. And I think, you know, so many great composers that don't people are like, whoa, what is this? And instead of jumping on and supporting the new things, which I think maybe it's happening now a bit more, uh, people are like, oh, you know, it was too much against the grain. A bit like Lord of the Rings, the musical that was again circus acts and beautiful immersive theatre experiences you know orcs and hobbits go into the audience and you're surrounded by the sounds of um of the environment that hadn't been done before and uh again that that's that's that was by A.R. Rahman working with him was incredible um again that was ahead of its time too so yeah I, you're going to hear a lot of songs that maybe still are so relevant to today um on Friday it is Friday, isn't it? It is Friday. Yeah, it's Friday, yeah, it's coming up quick. Um, uh, I always think that whenever I sing any of these their songs, that, that how relevant they are today. I wonder, you know, like, because you've done The Lord of the Rings, obviously, and you flew across the, you know, over the audience in Mary Poppins. And what's it like, what's the difference for you as a performer getting to be in those, like, huge productions, right, with, like, the special effects and the rigs and all of that, and then just singing with an orchestra? I think that I think the sits probe or the funnel probe is definitely my favorite part of um, uh, of the process because by then you've done all of the work, the orchestrations have been written, 
and everyone is there to now we're going to do it in front of an audience once they show up and it's nerve-wracking uh you suddenly realize the gift that you have you know up until then you've been like trying to find that find it <clears throat> by the time the orchestrations are written usually and I mean unless you have an amazing development process like we did with Finding Neverland which even after we had the orchestrations done it all changed all the time but usually it's pretty set by then and um, you know you realize what you have in your hand and it gets it's very exciting you are no stranger to uh, literary adaptations and I wonder if there's a book that you loved growing up that you would love to see turn into a musical and obviously star in. That's a great <laughs> question. No one's asked me that before. I guess Narnia has been a really good book from, for our family. We all would, mm. all of us, I've got three brothers, we would all cram into, I would be in my brother's bedroom um, and there were three of them in their bedroom and then me as a girl on my own, you know. It's always very lonely but I, I would when they would read the books I'd be in their room with them and we, they would read us my parents would read us the Chronicles of Narnia and I imagine that would make an amazing trilogy musical you know imagine Aslan amazing it would be amazing maybe I'm older the older ones would probably be the witch <laughs> fine uh, I think in my dreams I would have played one of the little girls in that who became royalty mm. when they arrived and then almost forgot the home they came from but then they chose to go back at times like that always that always got me when when people would step into the story and then all this time would have passed and then they'd step out and it was as if no time had passed at all they weren't even known to be missing that was amazing I love that because like, I, I always wonder for performers, if you were able to freeze a moment in time at a particular performance that you gave where everything was perfect, do you have one? What, what would it be? Um, most recently I did a gig at Cadogan Hall and it was the first time I was back in London um, confident as me singing on stage. Yes, singing the roles and the roles I didn't get, <laughs> um, but being very comfortable on stage. Um, I may have also been pregnant at the time, not realizing, uh, you know, having been married just a month. And I think, and, and and I came and I did that, and I think I sang. I felt like I sang the best I've ever sung, uh, and I was really happy. It was a really happy time, and so to be newly married and to to feel like everything fit in. And I had the most amazing guy help me with the um, orchestrations. Uh, Two amazing guys. I had Jay Alexander, who gave me my first big break when I was 17, share the stage with me, um, accompanying me and arranging the, the whole night. Um, and, a, and a guy called Nolan who helped me out too. But Jay Alexander and I go way back. And to have him on stage with me meant a lot. Just made me very grateful for the last 20 odd years wow. that I'd been a part of theatre. Like, it went too quickly. <laughs> yeah. And you're still like, wait, wait, wait. I hope that. so. Yeah. You do get, you do question. I do question it every year. Am I still going to be employed? Am I still going to do this for a living? Every year. Really? I think that's the life of an actor. You, mm. And because I question it every year, I realize, oh, I've been here before. Something will happen. Something will come along. And. Uh, uh, I realize there's ebb and flow with with work in theater. There's never going to be c 
consistency unless you're um, someone more famous than me <laughs> or um, unless you're a workaholic you know there's always going to be gaps and you have to be okay with the rest time otherwise you won't be okay for the busy time how do you feel that time that to release that anxiety I live in New Orleans uh, and that helps not being in New York when I'm not working really helps because you get to really chill out and really question a lot of things about what matters to you what's more important um, there was a time in my life when I didn't do that and job after job after job in my 20s I think I really appreciated what I had because I didn't really appreciate those moments that I had when I wasn't doing something mm -hmm. I was always anxious so I live in New Orleans it's only two and, two and a half hours away and in fact we got here by train so it's only a train journey away you can wow, pull up there. from my house to Manhattan which I just discovered <laughs> isn't that great um, so that's interesting that, that I can step out enjoy the space when I get it and you know, really value my family uh, and then come if I get something um, I get to enjoy it more I think because I value what it's been it's been absent from my life creativity has been absent for a while but if I live in New York it's like I you know I did that after I did Mary Poppins here I held hold myself up in Williamsburg because it was a little bit detached and I was waiting for the next big job and the job didn't come it was very depressing anything I auditioned for I didn't get and so I by the end of that year I was penniless and I had to start over again and so I did this um, uh, play in England for like six weeks but when I was on my way back I had all my stuff in storage I was on my way back and this uh, Hurricane Sandy was coming mm. and I, I remember being at the hotel at uh, the airport thinking I don't want to get off I don't want to leave this airport where was the last time I remember being so filled with hope for the future because I just a year of not working had been really tough on my everything identity I guess and I hopped on a plane to LA and I didn't leave for a year and a half <laughs> well I say I didn't leave every month there would be a concert here or a job or an opening over here that I would go to but um, you know I would say that was probably the hardest time in my life when you thought you know I made it now I'm here in Broadway everything's amazing and then suddenly you find yourself broke again and you are still questioning, am I really that talented? Do I have anything to offer? Is it over? And then, um, you know, after a year and a half of being in LA, Finding Neverland came up. Um, and again, you know, you go from broke to on a billboard mm -hmm. when in between Kelsey Grammer and Matthew Morrison. And you're like, well, that, that was astounding. Didn't see that coming. You, but you, you've done some of the work, but you really... You just gotta, you gotta wait it out. You gotta, and I say all this story because there's actors out there who want to give it up because it's so hard, the waiting game, and trying to enjoy life while they're doing their other dream job while they're waiting for, the the next big thing. I think if you can be happy in both circumstances, I think, you can make a good life out of, a happy life out of being an actor. Do you ever imagine yourself being something else if you one day had to give up acting? Mm, that's a really good question. I've. You know, I've been other things in the gaps. I think what I, one thing that I would really, really love to do more, more of is teach, mm -hmm. to share the... Now I actually feel like I have something I can share. And if it's only an encouragement to whoever comes asking a question, can I encourage you? It gets better. And it's not always this hard. And um, 
you're a light even whether you're not on stage or not you, you know even if you're working in some obscure place you're, you're bringing a light and a truth to that person in that situation it doesn't have to take an audience of a thousand you can have an audience of one that you one person you meet that day that you give your light to and uh, you communicate something greater to them which essentially is what a lot of acting is about communicating a a, a story a light a, a chance an encouragement on stage or on TV I love that you say that because you also played uh, one of the most beloved I guess uh, teachers of all time in, in The King and I oh yeah that was a great experience I loved it so much I stayed uh, 18 months on the road wow. and I did not anticipate that I thought well, six months I can handle but <laughs> ended up falling in love with the people backstage and I didn't want to leave them I felt very committed and it was such a great version of the story Bartlett Shear had given us I really enjoy his direction and he cares so much about it that he will even come out onto the road and keep it going he's not one of the directors who which I don't diss them for not coming but um but they normally don't Bartlett Shear was every few cities he'd come and check up on it and it was very vocal very supportive a uh, very good team he put around us all. That was such a gorgeous production. And, and I wonder if you did it for so long. What did Anna teach you? Oh my goodness, patience. <laughs> I Really, the trouble I had was the traveling every Monday. Um, that would really stress me out. I really, hats off to anyone who just lives the tour life because it is not easy. Uh, it's fun, but it's not easy. Um, so the the trying to pace myself and um, um, I didn't quite get there, but handling my stress, you know, I learned how to not let things sway me as much by the end, because you know, getting through airports, I was always running. I was never early for those planes, and I was always running to catch it. It was my workout once every every Monday <laughs> with all my stuff and like trying to clean up the place that I was in and then throw everything in my bag and then oh I got up late and oh the traffic's bad it never changed so I learned to chill out like if I miss it I miss it I guess that umbrella would have come in (laughs) yeah Mondays I feel like in many ways and I mean this as a total compliment but you spoiled Mary Poppins for (laughs) I did for the rest you know for for all of us because now every time I watch the original movie I want the songs that you originated in the West End to be in the movie. And I'm like, why isn't Julie Andrews singing Practically Perfect? Right. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I wonder, what, if, what does it feel like for you to contribute to the legacy of a character that's so uh, loved? And I mean, I still feel like a little kid when I see Mary Poppins or when I hear the music. I think people used to ask me the question, um, uh, are you intimidated playing the part of Mary Poppins? And I would say, no, not at all. Like, you know, I was very blasé about it and very arrogant, I think, um, because I, I truly was coping with the intimidation by tr- pretending it was all easy peasy. It really wasn't. It was hard, it was weighty and a, a huge responsibility. And I think my coping mechanism was to go, oh, yeah, no, this is nothing. Oh, yeah, this is fine. Um, I, I love Julie Andrews I'm not going to copy her I'm going to do my own thing you know um, I've learned from her but I'm going to do my 
but really, yeah, it's a massive, it's a really big deal. It's one of the greatest honours of my life that I got to do it. And I think having time away made me realise that more, that it's one of the roles that changed the course of my career and my life. Mm. And um, an amazing privilege. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say, you know, it was a huge... Um, contrib- my contribution was a really huge contribution because Julie Andrews had already did a lot of that contribution at the beginning <laughs> so I think I don't know whether I really I don't feel like I you know contributed a lot to to the, I feel honoured that I got to play it I guess it's because so many people have gone on to play it now I, mean, I many Mary Poppins come up to me and go I play Mary Poppins because they allowed schools to do it theatres to do do it they I love that they let Disney let a lot of people have the rights to perform the show um, and many of the girls have come up to me, I play Mary Poppins in my school production, or I may play Mary Poppins in my local theatre. So, I, yeah, I suppose I feel part of a legacy that Julianne just has handed down to us all. And it helped extend yeah. in that case. I'm also one of maybe five girls who played it in total, like Scarlett Stralen, <clears throat> Steffi, Ashley Brown, of course, was a big one here. I think she... she um, probably is the biggest contributor here because she originated it in New York. Yes, we did it in London and we created it out of town, but uh, I feel like that's a share. We share the partnership of Mary Poppins. Mm. It's so beautiful. Across the globe. I imagine like a huge Mary Poppins reunion kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I get with my girls, Lisa O'Hare too, she played it. Uh, Those two are the two English girls are very close to Scarlett and Lisa. And Caroline Sheen, she's doing really well in London. She also has played it. So the girls, I, there is a sisterhood um, about about Mary Poppins that I love to be part of. I love that so much. I feel like you know, like not many, not many um, actors talk about what you're talking about. You know, like the waiting game and all of that, and how frustrating it can be. I spent my early thirties, probably when I came here to play Mary Poppins, trying to show everybody that hey guys, I got this, I'm okay, you know, look how amazing I am, I'm on stage. And I, and I honestly, I feel like life is better when you share your, 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 your yes, your ups, but don't, don't pretend that everything's okay all the time, because doesn't it invite people into your life when you share, oh, things are not okay, but it will be, mm-hmm. let people say to you, but it will be. Um, and I and I think life's just better when I'm not hiding my flaws. I feel free to show. I think maybe it's turning thirty, or maybe it's going through the process of wanting to just be more open, or wanting someone else to not go through the trials and think they're the only one, or that it's never going to get better. But um, knowing that you can have those downs as an actor, that it's not over, especially to the people that are not used to breaks in their career. Um, uh, I think that's an encouragement for the ones that are still struggling to be creative in this world when it gets really tough financially or uh, you know otherwise we w- we've always just got to keep creating keep creating even if it's in your small way even if it's not in front of a thousand people um, because that's what makes you feel alive I think the temptation is to say I'm, that's it I'm just going to leave it all behind me and I'm going to go take a, a, d- a different kind of job but then you've got this creative energy you need to put it somewhere you need to find your spot to keep giving it otherwise um you get very sad Mm. i learned that in the journey (laughs) (laughs) 
So if you were to pick like your theme song for all the things that you're talking about right now from one of the musicals that you love the most, which would it be? Oh gosh, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, there's so many great songs, isn't there? As you said, what is there one in, one that I find very inspiring is Back to Before from Ragtime. We did a version of it at Ellis Island. It was a really magical moment and taught me the power of saying yes. Mm-hmm. I said yes to this young girl who was coming up through, uh, as a director, um, Sammy Cannold, and she's like rocketed to the moon with her directing she's an incredible director but I said yes to her not knowing what it was and she said will you do a concert with me and I said yeah she said do you want to know what it is like no I was just in that place of like just say yes to life and um she uh created this amazing concert version of ragtime immigrants coming through Ellis Island you know it was very Mm -hmm. hit hit at home and Brian Stokes Mitchell was was there and um, Brandon, Brandon Davis, not Brandon, oh, Brandon Victor Dixon. Mm-hmm. He, isn't he amazing? So, so, so brilliant. Amazing. And he, he contributed, he was there playing the, the main guy and um, so many incredible other people, like everyone was a name, but I have a brain fart right now because <laughs> the baby keeps me awake. But um, it was an incredible night and I sang back to before and I felt it. I felt, I, I can't ever go back to how things were and see things in a, in that way that I did. I'm a very different person now mm-hmm. and I have to keep moving forward. <clears throat> so that song was really inspiring to me. And it was an inspiring night too. That's the part I'd love to play. Right, like on a longer run because I miss that I was like, it's one of the biggest cases of FOMO that I've had in my life. I'm not making it there. It was yeah. really crazy. The sound in that room was so difficult to do, and they did—they just really nailed it at the end. We had the big choir behind us. You had Andy Mientes playing my brother. It was—it was brilliant. And you played uh, mother in Ragtime, and through your career, you played, you know, very maternal figures. And yeah. and I wonder if you're okay answering this. What are some musicals that you're just like to teach, to show your baby? Oh, that I did. Well, you know what's so funny is um, as soon as I had the baby, I questioned, will I ever work again? Which is the (laughs) same thing. I always do that. But I really questioned it. What's life going to look like now? I want to be a good mom. Uh, My identity was shifting again. Like, do I, am I able to perform the same? Like, is the demand, all the questions. And it's really amazing that as a woman, I wouldn't immediately go, I wouldn't immediately just assume work would continue. I had to, I felt like I had to question it because I was a woman. Mm. And I questioned that. And that was kind of an awakening. <clears throat> and as I realized that um, the lights went on, I don't, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I don't, I just can't, I don't have to stop. Just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I, I can't do anything. And, and as I made that awareness, I got Cabaret in mm-hmm. Connecticut, Matilda in St. Louis, and Austin's Pride came out of nowhere in Seattle. And so my second trimester was filled with creativity. And so my son's done three shows with me already <laughs> uh, in, in my belly. But that was a really amazing gift to know that, listen, yes, you're pregnant. You, you should be protected by American equity. And they were wonderful. I rang them and I said, what are my rights? You know, And in the end, I decided to ask the producers themselves, giving them full knowledge, that I'm pregnant. I don't know what that means to you, but I'd like to still do the show. And I was so 
thrilled to see how far we've come as a as a uh, in our era that producers wouldn't I don't know whether they questioned it in the background but that to me they were very excited that I still wanted to do the production and that I was still going to be part of it they were excited by it rather than put off or scared especially Austin's pride because they knew I was a lot later in the game then I actually gave birth a week before my run was up I came my baby came six weeks early oh my god <laughs> yeah that was because I had gestational diabetes, I think. But anyway, <laughs> I it wasn't because of the hard work. Because it felt like I was light as a feather on stage. But uh, he's totally fine, and you know he's cooing and ahhing outside. But to do to be able to work while pregnant was a real. Um, I'm gonna do this for the women everywhere who can't. In Austin's Pride, you had this very special opportunity to play an author who is in conversation with her characters. And can you talk a little bit about what that was like? And also, if you could have a conversation with any of the characters that you played, who would you want to talk to and what would you talk to them about? You know, it's so amazing. First of all, that they cast me even though I was pregnant. Like, hats off to them. Um, so I think being able to play Jane Austen in a situation that would definitely not have been acceptable back in her day was quite something. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about imagine what she would be thinking that a, a pregnant woman you know would be on stage playing her what she would say to you I think I think uh, it that's one of the things that really excited me that Jane Austen I could play the part to influence the other parts mm. and it was also she's more of an introvert trying to uh, release her thoughts through the characters see her life through the characters work out some of her unmet dreams in a world that she controls and what's one of the great things about this version of the story um, much like J.M. Barry telling the story of Finding Neverland coming up with the story as he goes along she the story gets uh, runs away from her as she starts to explore these characters who start to have voices of their own and she's now she's not wanting to deal with Darcy who is the influencer of um, Darcy represents for her the guy that walked out on her the one chance of happiness and marriage uh, that could have been for love and uh, you know it kind of is really interesting that she thinks she's in control but then they get that it, it runs away and then it all comes to the surface and then she has to make peace with the fact that she's trying to give uh, protect her char her main character, who in this case was um, uh, Elizabeth Bennet, from the pain of a broken relationship. She gives her all the hardships. I'm gonna, I see you falling in love, I'm gonna give you this, I'm gonna give you this. It's not realistic to see, it, see everything so perfectly. And then tries to work it out towards the end where she does get the happy ending in the end, but not in the way that a traditional story would bring a princess a happy ever after. It would be in a way that's more rooted in honesty and depth. And and it's great that it worked out for you. It didn't work out for me, but I'm going to be happy for you. You know, that that exploration of the characters is amazing. That's so beautiful. Played by Olivia, Olivia, uh, Olivia Hernandez. Uh, she was incredible to work. We were like sisters on stage. And she was supposed to represent... 
uh, a lot of my inner dialogue and quirks, but she had a whole thing of her own that just was beautiful to watch every day. That would make you, because uh, Pride and Prejudice is my favorite book of all time. I love it. Like I, every time I feel like I need some solace, I go and reread Pride and Prejudice. And, really? Uh, yeah, I love it so much since I was like a teenager. And I wonder if playing Jane Austen in any way uh, helped you see her work in a, in a new way? Like, did it give you any new insight? Yeah. Um, I mean, to hear Elizabeth speak so eloquently the one-liners that Jane came up with was, I mean, I would, I would, I always try to learn stuff from the characters I play. Like I remember playing Mary Poppins once and saying, "Wow, I wish." Literally, while I'm doing it, thinking, "Gosh, I wish I was more like Mary Poppins." Like (laughs) herself, I really, I really wish I could be more like her. You know, she's got it all together. She's perfect. She fixes everything. And then I was like, "Wait a second, I'm playing it. Maybe there's some elements I can bring to my own life that I could choose to bring." I mean, I don't know. That's the that's the worrying question with an actor. But can you really be true to yourself and bring those character traits forward into your own life? Because um, you conjure them up out of you somewhere in order to play them. But Jane Austen, yeah, I would love to be more eloquent. I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> All that to say, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to write like Jane. Who would be able to write like Jane Austen? Or who would be able to write like Shakespeare? Or... But how brilliant would it be if, in some way, if I was ever a writer, that I could find my own way of communicating in the way these amazing geniuses did? Um, Maybe next time in between shows, right? (laughs) Yeah, I have to go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure. Yeah, I've loved every every second of this. Thank you. Would you like to invite our viewers to see you on Friday and tell us about everything you're doing? Please come on Friday to Carnegie Hall to watch me and Max Van Essen and Stephen Reinecke and Essential Voices uh, at Carnegie Hall play all the Rogers and Hammerstein favorites and someone that you've never heard before. Please come. Yeah, it's just going to be amazing. (laughs) Happy New Year, and I wish you have a wonderful 2020. Thank you. Thank you again. Same.